You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Supply chain, it's been one of our favorite topics to talk about during the last several years. Boy, it got ugly there towards the beginning of the pandemic. Um... But now it seems to be getting better. And, and, and we talked to Gene Soroka. He's the CEO of the Port of L.A. He always gives us a good sense of what's going on there because the Port of L.A. is huge, and particularly coming from that Asia trade. Gene, thanks so much for joining us here. Um, give us a sense of how the things are at your port. How many ships are waiting in harbor? How's the, the port itself, the railroads, the trucks? What's your dashboard look like? How's it all playing out? Good morning, Paul and Matt. The backlog of ships in Los Angeles effectively left us back in August. We had record high for the first seven months of the year going box for box with that all-time number in 2021. We had the peak season come in early. June and July were our best on record in 115 years. Then and exporters got a little bit nervous about our ongoing dock workers negotiation and shifted cargo to the east and Gulf Coast. We've got about 25% late capacity today. So so what does uh, shipping look like right now? I mean, we're getting into the holiday season, right? The pandemic's over for the Western world. Are we seeing, um, you know, peak traffic right now? Uh, are you expecting to get busy this month? No, I don't think so. Again, TT a little bit earlier, that, that traditional import and export manager didn't want to get into the teeth of supply chain and port congestion all over again for the third year in a row. They were a little conservative, hedged, brought the cargo in early to pad those transit times, make sure indoor states were realized, and make sure they stayed away from any potential labor disruption, which was not going to happen. Both the Employers Association and the Dock Workers Union put out two joint media releases. Simply stated, they won't strike and they won't lock out labor. Yet, that's been tough to convince the American cargo owner. Hey, Gene, we're hearing reports really over the last several days that finally Japan, I mean, I'm sorry, China may be reopening here, maybe in response to some of the protests. But if China's really going to reopen, how do you guys kind of you know, get ready for that, because my sense would be there are a lot more sailings coming out of China, maybe. 
Possibly, but we never saw that precipitous drop that some observers called for. Okay. Even with the third and fifth wave of COVID variants or the shutdowns that really clamped down on, on my old hometown of Shanghai for months on end. The, the central government and ports, specifically the Yangshan Deep Seaport in Shanghai, prioritized their long-haul cargo. That meant that our goods were going to come in unabated. We saw a little bit of a dip, a little pickup, and obviously there were examples of what the lockdown meant to subassembly manufacturing and transportation, but no real impact. I don't expect a, a crush of cargo coming our way either because of this oh. reopening. No, yeah. In fact, Bloomberg um, Businessweek put out a story, and they have indicators for ports, uh, each port, the port of L.A., um, Singapore, Hong Kong, all below normal right now, which is strange, I guess, With uh, unless you consider the fact that everybody is looking towards a recession and there's a war um, wa w waging in Eastern Europe. Do you expect... A pickup in 2023? Um, do you think we need the war to end? What's the story there? Well, there's a lot that's got to be fixed overall. Again, in the supply chain, every day something happens that gives us pause or creates a, an ability for us to pivot and move forward. I read the article this morning coming off of the supply lines email that I get every day. Realistically speaking, what we see right now is that you had in, in the U.S., you had a lot of inventory, and it was mismatched with us as consumers. Folks started buying just in case, no longer just in time. The warehouses in Southern California, of which we boast 2 billion square feet, are still filled to the gills. So this time of holiday season, trying to push out all of that excess inventory, in many cases at discounted levels, and have a reset at the beginning of the year for a more normal omni-channel distribution and procurement network seems to be what we're looking at right now. But again, folks are wringing their hands. Is it recession? Interest rates going up. What will the Fed do next? There's a lot on our plate in that economic equation. All right, Gene Soroka, good stuff as always. We always appreciate getting your thoughts here. Gene Soroka, he is the CEO of the Port of Los Angeles. Give me a sense of kind of how things are going uh, on the supply chain route as we, we've been talking to Gene all throughout this pandemic. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. 
Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. We are all in on reading the billboard for Build America Mutual. And we're down there at their headquarters. We're with the... The CEO. Uh, we CEO. got Sean McCarthy here, the CEO of BAM. Sean, and yep. uh, Sean, before we get into it, I just want to tell you a little story about Paul, my co-host here. Okay. So he started in uh, financial services on Wall Street like the day after Black Friday in 1987. Yeah. Right? Great timing. And he's of the generation that wanted, you know, big paychecks and worked, uh, you know, wake until sleep to get them. Um, no other life besides Wall Street and earning money. I asked him what he did with his first bonus because I figure most people, like, take their first bonus and go buy a Rolex or something. He bought munis. Oh, yes. Smart. Very smart. Exactly. <laughs> Clipping coupons is what he does on the weekends. He just sits <laughs> by the pool and clips his coupons. Yeah, and it's been, it's been a good ride. Build American Mutual, Sean. Uh, thanks so much for having us down here sure. at your lovely offices down here in Toward Liberty Street. What do you guys do at Build American Mutual? So uh, we are a um, um, municipal bond insurer. We're double A rated by Standard and Poor's, and we guarantee. So you insure municipal bond issuers. We do. Gotcha. Think, think okay. of it this way: it's a little like uh, if you have a child who's gone to college, takes out a student loan. You want him to get a job. You want him to pay it back. But if he doesn't, you're on the hook because you've co-signed the loan. Yeah, I think I'm That's familiar with that. That's what we do. Okay. What we're, what we're doing is we're guaranteeing to make sure that timely payment of principal and interest when due for the investors. Well, I know where my guys sleep at night, so if they don't pay, I know where to find them. <laughs> Talk to us about the municipal bond market um, just today. It's been such a rough year for fixed income, double-digit declines across the entire fixed income space. Talk to us about the municipal bond market. So I think right now, you know, it's a tale of uh, two markets uh, this year. Uh, there was a hundred... Um, uh, billion dollars of outflows from the municipal market in the first part of the year. And that's really a transition from very low interest rates of last year and the beginning of this year to higher interest rates now. And so what we're seeing uh, at this moment is a re-entry of municipal investors back into the market. Now, I have to think, what does the municipal market do? It finances 80% of essential infrastructure. So when you think about infrastructure, it's state and local governments that are financing that. There are right now $4 trillion of municipal bonds that are outstanding. And, and, and of that, if you just try to put a sense for who, um, who, buy, who are the issuers, they are state and local governments. Uh, there are 50,000 individual issuers, mm, yep. state and local governments, which means that there are you know, about five times the total number of different issuers than there are on the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ put together. So it's a huge market, but it's also one that is traditionally very staid, right? Um, towns and cities are going to always have financing needs. They constantly need to issue debt, um, and they rarely default. And then when you step in and insure their bonds, investors can be sure they're not going to default, or if they do, uh, you know, you'll catch them fall. So um, That's 100% right. I mean, really what we're focused on is uh, two things. Essential public purpose is uh, state and local governments issuing for hospitals, bridges, tunnels, roads, um, and, and that, they, they, they don't default often, but what we're doing is three things. Credit default protection, 
greater liquidity for those municipal bonds and greater price protection. So those bonds trade at a more stable level. But uh, what I'm getting time. at, though, is there's typically not so much volatility. This has been a very odd year for munis, right? That's correct. It has been for the whole market. Correct. But traditionally, munis trade a little bit differently than definitely corporate debt and even treasuries. That's correct. Uh, and that's really because if you think about it, who are the buyers of municipal bonds? It's households. It's mutual funds that represent households. So it's people who are buying uh, bonds that have a long uh, maturity. And so they're doing that for their portfolios for greater stability and, and less volatility than other potential investments like equities. So during this pandemic, we've seen uh, coming out of Washington a big infrastructure bill. And I'm guessing a lot of that's got to be financed in the municipal bond market. Have you started to see activity tied with that at all, or is that something still to come? So I think they've passed a $1.1 trillion package, the bipartisan bill. And I think what's going to happen in the municipal bond market is a lot of those programs are match-funded. So if you think about if you're going to borrow to repair your roads, and it's repair just as much as build new things, if you think about really what's going on. Um, I'm not sure so, about New York City. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have a, it's an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you think about uh, how much uh, uh, gets to be invested, um, the federal program is a matched fund program. So that if you want to borrow $50 million from that program, you're going to issue $50 million worth of municipal bonds in order to make that project a reality. And so uh, right now, that money has been approved, and it's now just starting to roll out into the market. And so my, uh, our estimation would be that that, that that activity will really take hold in the next couple of years. But this means, that, so I have always thought, or, or this year, you know, now that these municipalities are so cash rich, maybe they don't need to issue as many bonds. But you're saying that a lot of that money came with issuance uh, concurrent. So uh, think about it this way. Uh, what's happened this year, particularly for, for volume, is uh, uh, it's about $360 uh, billion dollar, uh, uh, volume of issuance this year. Um, there are virtually no refinancings. So normally about 20 25% of the market are refinancings. As interest rates have gone up, refinancings have gone down. But the important thing to remember is that uh, essential projects still have to be built. Uh, existing uh, facilities have to be repaired. And so the market has a steady issuance mm. uh, going forward, and we project that that's going to be the same for the next you know, five, ten years. In terms of what as a former done. banker, I've always told companies, you know, borrow when you can, raise capital when you can and not when you need it. But it's not necessarily the case in municipal bond space. They're, they don't market time, it's, uh, is my understanding. They raise money when they need it. Correct. You know, so as you look at can you – do you have municipalities saying I'm going to issue in 2023 for a bridge that we're building? Did they did they give you that kind of visibility, or is it? There's a long-term process in order to come to the market for for new for large new projects. So if you think about uh, any town, a town in Connecticut, a town in Nevada, when they uh, decide they're going to build a new town hall or they're going to put in new sidewalks, they go through a planning process, they go through an approval process. Remember, these things are paid from taxes at a local level. So they go through an approval process, they design what they're going to build, and then they issue the bonds. In most circumstances, municipalities have a financial advisor mm -hmm. that represents yep. them in putting the transaction together, and then they hire an, a, an underwriter, um, you know, like Citibank or, right. or uh, Bank of America, to uh, you know, bring those bonds to market and sell them to investors. So if you're insuring uh, an issue, do you guys have to perform credit analysis 
yourself to decide how much you'll charge for that uh, Absolutely. insurance? So you so have the, a bunch the, of credit analysts around The vast there? majority of the people you see here okay. are, are credit analysts. Okay. And so we spend all of our time. Uh, our credit committee meets every year, uh, every day. Nine o'clock. I think I saw you guys. Exactly. Folks get up and huddle head out. Yep. Yeah, and think about what's happening. And so what we're doing is um, making a credit decision to guarantee the bond. Now think about it this way: our kind of insurance is unique because we don't. You know, there is no waiver. We pay first and then mitigate later, so that the investor knows they're going to get their payment when when they expect it to get it, and that's fundamentally important to what we do. So. Our process of not only underwriting the transactions when they come to market, but surveilling them uh, is an important part. So we, we watch those uh, municipal bond issues um, until they mature. And that's something that the investors can take comfort in, and frankly, the issuers take comfort in. Historically, how have you guys done in terms of losses or just risk from these Good things? Good question. So we've been in business 11 years. Okay. Uh, I've been in, in the bond insurance business for a very, very long time. We've issued um, $115 billion worth of transactions. We've had no defaults. Wow. I'll take that. So that's some good credit analysts around here. I'm surrounded by these sharp credit analyst guys. Good stuff. All right, Sean, thanks so much for having us here. Sean McCarthy, he's Build American Mutual. He's a chief executive officer. We never uh, got to ask about work from home. We got to talk to him during the break because I got to know if all these guys came in today just because we're here. Just to see us. So, uh, two, three days a week, everybody's in the office. That's kind of where we're that's We, we where rotated we're. around, and that's the thing. And the one final thing I just mentioned is that we're a mutual. So the people who are our stakeholders and own the company are the 5,000 municipalities that have taken our insurance. Okay. That's important. That's, That's key. important. All right, good stuff. All right, all right Sean McCarthy, great stuff. Uh, Build American Mutual uh, Chief Executive Bam. Officer. Bam. There you go. Thanks for being here. Let's talk about municipal finance, financing big cities. And, boy, uh, there's not too many bigger than the city of Chicago. Jenny Huang Bennett joins us. She's a chief finance officer for the city of Chicago. Uh, Jenny, thanks so much for joining us here at the Build America Mutual offices. Talk to us about the, the financial situation, the financial health, the financial um, you know, outlook for the city of Chicago. Great city, one of America's great cities. Talk to us about Chicago. Sure, absolutely, and thank you for having me. Always happy to talk about the city of Chicago and its financial turnaround. Um, you don't have to take my word for it, although I will speak to some of the financial financial improvements at the city, but very importantly, the city of Chicago has achieved 10 rating upgrades across various credits at the city of Chicago, plus two outlook upgrades um, to positive uh, over the last four months. And it's a demonstration of the financial turnaround that the city's in right now. The upgrades have spanned the city's uh, GEO SDSC credit. Um, the uh, airport credit, the water and sewer credits, uh, the uh, O'Hare and Midway credits, and all of that for the first time in six to 12 what's years. What's driving that? Um, it's a lot of financial improvement at the city in particular. The corporate fund credit um, has seen structural balance now um, for the first time in decades. Uh, we have climbed a uh, pension ramp that has included $1.8 billion in increased uh, pension funding over the last uh, three years. And very importantly, uh, we have uh, found a way to do all of that in the midst of a pandemic. And so uh, it's a very important turnaround for the city in terms of all of the financial metrics that rating analysts 
analysts follow on a regular basis. Um, very importantly, we've also climbed our debt ramp, which uh, allows us to amortize somewhere between 300 to $400 million in principal a year. Um, that's reduced our overall debt burden by three quarters of a billion dollars um, over the last three years. And by way of perspective, the city of Chicago has $26 billion of debt outstanding. Um, in general, we are one of the top 10 issuers of municipal debt in the market. And so um, it's a, there's a, there are a lot of financial metric improvements that have occurred over the last three years, in particular during Mayor Lightfoot's administration, um, but also over the course of decades for the city of Chicago that has led to this moment where um, we are getting recognition across the board by the rating agencies. Yeah, so no more junk uh, debt for the city of Chicago, and you found ways to make an impact socially, right, in terms of your debt issuance. Yes, absolutely. Um, so to your point, uh, Moody's has upgraded us to investment grade, and so now the city of Chicago is investment grade across all of its credits. Um, in addition to that, because of the fact that we've climbed our debt ramp and because of the fact that we've climbed our pension ramp, cleared our deferred liabilities, we're now able to make historic investments in the city of Chicago. Um, there are three main investment plans. There's the Chicago Recovery Plan, which is $1.2 billion, making some of the his most historic progressive investments in the city, including the vacant lot investment program, um, affordable housing, fleet decarbonization, um, so on and so forth. There's the Invest Southwest program, which makes $2 billion of economic development investments in South and West Side neighborhoods, largely low-income neighborhoods in Chicago. And then there's the Chicago Works program, which is our deferred um, capital maintenance program, streets, lighting, um, typical infrastructure investment. All told, that's $6 billion of investments that we're making. And uh, within that, we've selected a number of projects that will make up our inaugural social impact bond issuance, which will be coming um, in the next month or so. So in the last several years, we've seen some big corporate um, residents of Chicago leave, Citadel, Boeing. Talk to us about the challenges you as a city have in, in kind of trying to attract and retain uh, corporate residents, you know, big, uh, big, big companies? Sure. So I, I would offer that um, although, you know, we, um, you know, are saddened by the loss of those firms that you mentioned in particular, um, the number of jobs impacted are very small as compared to the total number of jobs that we've increased over the course of the last few years, in particular in the midst of the pandemic. So the city of Chicago has seen 171 pro-Chicago decisions, which we define as um, headquarters um, or corporate relocations that increase their presence in the city of Chicago. And that's created around 20,000 new jobs jobs, and which then themselves creates another 30,000 right. jobs. Some notable recent um, additions includes Google, who has um, added a new um, facility to their existing facility in the West Loop that'll generate um, thousands of new jobs for the city. Uh, Kellogg um, has announced that they're moving their largest division to the city of Chicago, which is their snack division, around about $11 billion of revenue. And then um, in addition to that, we also had Kimberly Clark make a major corporate relocation as well as, um, uh, as, as as well as Discover, who uh, put their largest call center in one of our South Side neighborhoods. What's it like working with Illinois? Because I'm assuming uh, some of the leavers had concerns about the state more than the city of Chicago. Um, so the city of Chicago is uh, the largest economic engine within the state of Illinois, of course. and we provide a lot of uh, a lot of revenue to the state. Um, we did just pass a casino as well, which will generate significant um, value to the state and to the city, somewhere around $5 billion in total. Um, so there are a lot of ways that we contribute to the state. Um, you know, we also uh, spend a lot so of wait, time. Wait, there's going to be a casino in Chicago? Yes, there's a new casino in Chicago. It's been authorized. It's rounding about $200 million a year in revenue to the city. Um, uh, and then another, um, you know, uh, $200 million or so in revenue to the state of Illinois. Talk to us about the crime situation in Chicago and how 
what kind of headwinds that presents to the city and, and kind of what's the administration's plan to, to try to address that? We have, you know, similar issues here in New York City, but Chicago seems to get a lot of attention. Um, so what we're experiencing in terms of tr uh, public safety trends is not dissimilar from what a lot of other urban areas face. Um, you know, we know in the city of Chicago that there's been historic segregation um, and uh, disinvestment in largely low-income neighborhoods. And so that's why one of the um, uh, uh, investments that we started out with, even before uh, the investments, investment plans I just mentioned, um, you know, was about making deeper investments in south and west side neighborhoods in order to try to right some of those historic um, wrongs. What that means by way of public safety is that we're making the investments that create wraparound services that addresses the root causes of violence. So rather than taking a policing approach, which we know will have immediate impact, but ultimately won't create transformative change for those neighborhoods, we're taking that broader uh, citywide whole of government approach. What's that, what that's resulted in, in the top 15 communities that have over 50% of the crime in the city of Chicago, they've seen somewhere between a 30 to 50% reduction in crime, in particular by way of homicides and shootings. And so we know the approach is working. Um, you know, we are also working on um, ramping up recruiting efforts for the uh, police department. In the most recent budget we passed, there was $100 million of additional public safety investments for um, the police department in particular. Um, there are new cell phones being provided to all patrol officers who will then um, have a more efficient way of being able to receive calls and understand where calls of service have been, file reports in the field. And so a lot of uh, investment is being made in, in, in terms of both um, direct public safety investments as well as whole government investments to help support the uh, the public safety in, in Chicago. So I think it's interesting that you're not just a numbers CFO. You're invested in making a difference socially. With the public schools for you were the CFO of the Chicago I was the CFO schools. of the public schools. I think one of the most uh, interesting things about municipal finance in general is that what we do is ultimately not just about the numbers, but how the math and the money ultimately creates investments. Um, I said this uh, in a recent uh, speech where ultimately what we do by way of financial stability is so important because it pays for the investments that we make. And so the point I made earlier about the fact that we've paid down three quarters of a billion dollars in debt and are now paying down our debt to the tune of three to four hundred million a year, those are now investments that we can make through the through the various investment programs that total about eight billion dollars. We are making some of the most historic investments in the city of Chicago without increasing our debt burden, and that's because of the fact that we have financial stability and a way to pay for these investments. Casinos, by the way, have long been a way of raising money um, for municipalities. Now there's weed, and I wonder what you think about that because it's legal in Illinois, right? Yes, that's and correct. you yep. must be able to generate significant revenue. Um, does that some of that go to Chicago, or is it also the state? How's that work? So the majority of the money does go to the state. We do see some of that money uh, come to us for public safety. The amount isn't large, but we do receive some portion of money. Um, by way of casinos, um, you know, it is going to generate significant revenue for our police and fire pension funds. But in addition to that, it's already happening. Um, it's all going to Indiana at this point. And so oh. the Chicago casino, we expect, uh, will repatriate approximately $190 million of gaming activity back to the city, um, which ultimately allows us to pay for uh, Illinois essential services as, as opposed to essential services in other states. All right, great stuff. Jenny Wong-Bennett, Chief Financial Officer for the City of Chicago, joining us live here at our Build America Mutual uh, headquarters.
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Here we are back at the Build America Mutual headquarters in lovely lower Manhattan. I've been... I spent a lot of my career down here. There's some good folks down here. We're talking municipal bonds. We're talking municipal bond market. We got some pros here at the table, literally at the round table. Glenn McGowan, he's co-head of municipal underwriting at RBC Capital Markets. And Kevin Dankworth, head of municipal trading at City. Uh, they're here. They're all in on this municipal bond market. Guys, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Glenn, let's just start with you. Um, what are municipalities doing? Are they are they active this year? I mean, it's been such a brutal year in the fixed income markets, but what have your clients been telling you about maybe their appetite for getting into this market? Yeah, sure, Paul. Good good question. I would say that, you know, in general, it's been a very light year in terms of supply. You know, we're coming off of uh, the lightest month of November since 1999 and year-to-date issuance right now right around $360 billion. That's down about 18% year over year. And I think, you know, for a good chunk of this year, governmental issuers were indicating that uh, tax receipts were strong and a fair amount of federal aid was still sitting on their balance sheets. And so the uh, the need to access the capital markets was uh, was reduced. And I think you have some other uh, sectors that have been accessing capital in, in different formats. Uh, a lot of healthcare issuers have been resorting more to private placements. And so the net effect of that, and when you think about uh, the, the increase in interest rates over the course of this year, you know, you've had less taxable refunding activity. The net result of all that is a significantly lower uh, pace of issuance over the course of this year. So as I mentioned, about $360 billion of total issuance. What's interesting is if you net out about $21.5 billion of private placements, you know, you're looking at about $339 billion of publicly issued municipal bonds so far this year. What's that compared to? 
you know, the the pace of uh, privates is fairly consistent with last year. I think it was about twenty two billion or so. No, but I mean, overall, what were you seeing in twenty twenty one or twenty 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 nineteen? Uh, if we saw three sixty this year, is that a lot or a little? Yeah, it's it's it, it's a little. We were in the uh, kind of mid fours in the last two years for sure. And so as we project ahead to next year, you know, with this interest rate environment being, I think, fairly consistent, and you can certainly build a case that as the uh, Fed eventually wraps up its tightening process in the uh, you know, first quarter, end of first quarter of next year, um, you know, and, and with economic growth expected to start to move into some sort of a you know, recession, uh, that you could, you, know, you could make a case pretty easily for marginally lower rates by the end of next year. But we're, we're anticipating a pretty consistent pace of issuance as we move into next year. So a little scarcity there. You run, Glenn, underwriting at RBC. Kevin, you run Muni Trading at City. What does that scarcity mean for your business? It, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, great question. Uh, you know, the the primary supply being lower has certainly, I think, helped uh, to mitigate some of the challenges we've seen in the market this year. Um, the main uh, headwind for us really has been uh, the mutual fund outflows that have really been um, consistent throughout the course of the year. We're, we're going on, um, I think it was 44 weeks uh, of uh, consecutive outflows out of mutual funds, um, which um, you know, has certainly uh, provided a headwind. Um, so the fact that there hasn't been a huge primary calendar to kind of compete with the selling that mutual funds have had to do um, has helped the secondary function probably a little more smoothly. Why are those outflows happening? Is it tax loss harvesting? Or oh boy. are people converting to ETFs? Uh, great question. I, I think you probably have to dimension a little bit beginning of the year versus now. I think initially, uh, you know, January, February, March, April, uh, I think it was uh, driven largely by uh, inflationary concerns. I think um, a Fed that was hawkish than it had been in quite some time. You know, you had Chairman Powell uh, throughout 2021 saying that inflation was transitory. Uh, it was pretty clear early in 2022 that that was not the case, and he really dialed up the hawkish rhetoric. Uh, so I think early in the year, it was a function of, of fear more than anything, just rising rates. Um, I think as we've transitioned later in the year, I think you're probably seeing more of that tax loss selling. Uh, some of that money is probably going into ETFs, as you mentioned. I think some of that's probably also going into direct retail, you know, just buying municipal bonds direct off the screens because, you know, those those securities are offering significantly more yield than they've offered in quite some time, especially on the longer end of the curve. Hey, Glenn, tell me about the underwriting side of the business. Do your bankers sit at their in their offices and pick up the phone when a municipality says, I need to build a bridge? Or are you guys out there pitching business? Do you go to, like, I don't know, the city of Camden, New Jersey, and say, boy, you guys need to pave your roads. Here's a bond. So I would say that... Uh, most of the bankers that uh, that we know and most of the bankers at the large firms are out pitching constantly and it's it's not really just about trying to find the next deal but trying to be thoughtful about you know their clients objectives in the context of the capital markets where can you finance infrastructure where can you build out a hospital project you know how can you manage your your obligations uh, to the public and provide the goods and services that are necessary in the context of the market so you know most of the bankers that we uh, work with are are constantly you know out coming up with ideas, pitching those ideas to clients and their advisors. Uh, you know, but I think there is a certain subset of the issuer base right now that just doesn't have as much need for capital. Now, that could change as we head into a rockier economic environment next year. Right. Um, you know, and I, I think you can also make a case that with gridlock in Washington, D.C., split control of Congress, you know, we're probably not going to get much help out of the federal government in terms of financing infrastructure. So that could be another area that may be, uh, you know, shouldered by state and local governments in terms of needing to, 
Kevin, bond. I'm a big uh, trader of municipal bonds. I got a huge portfolio. I need to unload some City of Cherry Hill bonds. I come <laughs> in to your trading desk. What kind of market are you making for me? Do you got liquidity to really step up and get my trade done? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Is this Cherry Hill, New Jersey? Yeah, I grew darn up right. New Jersey, so yeah, sir. absolutely for Cherry Hill. Uh, yeah, we um, we take a lot of risk in the municipal space. Uh, our balance sheet, you know, generally speaking, um, runs well in excess of a billion bonds. So um, okay. we're active on a daily basis. Um, whether it's the the kind of micro lot space, ten, twenty thousand bond pieces, uh, all the way up to to block size, tens, twenties, and that's where I trade. Uh, you know, so we are uh, we're in the market. Uh, we're active, and um, you know, it's been it's been a fun year to trade. Frankly, uh, volatility uh, makes things a lot more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So, what's next year look like? I mean, after the ridiculously terrifying screens that we had to look at all year, you know, INGO on the Bloomberg shows the massive losses all the way across fixed income. Um, is next year better? Uh, I think so, personally. I mean, I, you know, if, when you look at the muni market, it's actually been been pretty stable overall since about May of next year. Um, so the first four months or so was really um, where the vast majority of the pain took place. And, and the, the muni market, the one thing it's, it's pretty good at is it can adjust pretty violently to get to valuations at which people are going to step in to buy it. And, and that's really what I would say happened in, in April, May, is we got to yield levels where, you know, you could buy longer dated paper, 20 to 30 year final maturity, usually 10 year calls, double A or better rated. Uh, anywhere from a four to a four and a half yield, which, you know, if you're in a, a high tax state like New York in a high uh, tax bracket, you know, you could be talking about taxable equivalent yields of, of eight to nine percent, even in lower tax states and, uh, you know, um, lower tax brackets that you're still talking five and a half to seven and a half percent on a taxable equivalent basis for super high quality assets. You know, that's a pretty compelling return for, for a mm. retail investor. Hey, Paul, Glenn, Paul your, balls, your bond's still getting called? Uh, no, not as much, but they were getting. Yeah, because this summer you were like yeah. crying about it yeah. every day. Well, I mean, you know, and then I got to go to the block desk at City. I'm not going to the retail desk <laughs> to move my moon. Um, so, Glenn, Infrastructure Act, it was like a gajillion and one dollars. How do you guys think about that as a strategy for the next couple of years in terms of talking to your clients? Presumably they're going to be having opportunities to fund maybe more projects than they had thought. Yeah, I think the burden of financing uh, public infrastructure is, as I mentioned before, going to be shouldered more and more by our issuer base. I have been a little bit underwhelmed by some of the provisions in the various uh, legislation that's passed in terms of what it's done for the municipal bond market. Simple things that could have provided relief valves for our issuer base, tax-exempt advance refundings, that never really happened. Uh, you know, a reintroduction of a BABS-like program never really happened. And so I think the burden is going to continue to be uh, shouldered by our issuer base. I think that could, you know, lead some to conclude that maybe you see an uptick in issuance. But our, our thought for next year is kind of a stable $385 billion type of total supply type environment. It's hard to see in this economic environment, in this rate environment, that dramatically changing, at least in our view. How, how do you work with BAM, by the way? When you're talking to an issuer, oh, um, how do you partner up with uh, the, the two of them? Sure. So, uh, you know, BAM provides credit enhancement for our issuer base. And so it, the, the net result there is issuers purchasing uh, insurance in the new issue market to buy down a lower yield. Uh, we also use it in the secondary market. Sometimes we have investors that want to insure a bond. Uh, whether it's for a, a portfolio defense uh, strategy or for a for a you know for a more tactical trading strategy, so we're frequent counterparts with uh, BAM in the new issue market and the secondary market. It's all about trying to find value for credit enhancement, and we've been uh, pretty active in that regard. All right, folks, 
Thanks so much for joining us here. We had Glenn McGowan, co-head of municipal underwriting at RBC Capital Markets, and Kevin Dankworth. He's head of municipal trading at City. Matt, this has to be just a, a joy of a day for you. I mean, we've been doing nothing but <laughs> municipal bonds. No cars, you know, none of that crypto stuff. We're talking yeah. municipal bonds, baby. It's honestly, it's heaven for you, isn't it? It is. It's great. Paul I'm, goes home and he just swims in a pool full of municipal bonds. He's been building it up ever since he was a little kid. Yep. It's the first thing he asked for for Christmas. Clipping. I wanted a Red Rider BB gun and Paul wanted munis. <laughs> municipal bonds and the coupons that I can clip. Eric Kazaski joins us. He's senior U.S. Uh, municipal strategist. Uh, he's here at Bloomberg Intelligence. Chris, Chris Brigatti, managing director and senior VP of municipal investments at Valley National Bank. These guys are live here at the Build America Mutual headquarters here in Lower Manhattan. Eric, thanks so much, and uh, you know, Chris, thanks so much for joining us here. Eric, man, you guys have had a brutal year in municipals. Maybe not as bad as some other spots in fixed income, mm -hmm. but assuming clients actually pick up the phone when you call, <laughs> what are they saying about 2023? Well, I, I think they're excited based on the last 30, 45 days, right? We've had four and a half, five percent returns, but I think the real bright spot, high yield munis, almost six and a half returns over the last 35 days. Pretty good start to heading to 2023, and there's a little bit of runway there for uh, positive performance. How, how does forward. high yield munis work? Are they still yeah. backed by Build America Mutual? Because I feel safe in yeah. that case. You should feel safe, but I think that there are probably things that maybe like some of the insurance companies really don't want to touch because there's a lot of hair on some of these deals. Look, take American Dreams Mall, for instance, right? Oh, yeah. Tapping into the reserves once again. At some point, they're going to run out of reserves to tap, right? But that means more risk, more spread for investors who are willing to sort of wait in there. I've still never been there. Our next remote, we keep yeah, saying Yeah, we it. have to we go to the it. American Dream Mall, hey, the Chris, water park. Chris, when, when you look at um, a bond, an, an issuance, what do you guys look for? Like, what, What's your criteria typically? I mean, generally what we're doing is sticking to the higher investment grade stuff for most of the things that we do. We're looking for something that's liquid enough that we can turn it around and get some velocity in terms of selling it and trading it and, and generating a little bit of revenue in the short term as well. But ultimately, it comes down to quality. Quality is job one. You know, keep, keep it liquid. Keep it something people will be willing to put their money into and feel safe about. Um, if we kind of step out into the uncomfortable land of high yield sometimes, it gets a little sketchier, and it's a little bit of a different trade, which is fine. You just got to kind of be aware of that and know what you're doing. So you're at Valley National Bank, lovely Wayne, New Jersey. Yes. Do you buy municipal bonds like all over the country or? Yes. Yes, yeah. so you're national. So We're national. We don't care where. We just happen to be located in Jersey. Okay. So and when you look at a bond out there, I mean, does it have to have a certain rating? Does it have to have a certain criteria? Or, I mean, it's not does like it help if they're insured? Yeah. It helps. Definitely. <laughs> like, like when, when I look at a company, if I want to do business with it, I, I spend a lot of time with management, for example. But you don't necessarily do that with a municipal bond. You just no. kind of look at the ratings. Some I mean, of the financials. You look, range, you look at some financials. You want to do a little deep dive and understand where the revenues are coming from. Is it a geo? What is the uh, what is the collections been on a geo debt with regard to taxes uh, in the past two year period? For argument's sake, if it's looking at a sales tax revenue, how do those sales taxes? collections look you know you kind of look through and, and read through debt coverage ratios kind of some of the boring stuff that's less exciting. i mean we just talked oh, to jenny exciting. wong bennett she's the cfo for the city of chicago and previously you would have been like okay um illinois is like the most corrupt state in the entire country <laughs> even giving new jersey a run for its money yes, right exactly. and um all of these businesses are just moving out like gangbusters going down yeah. to florida or going um to other states what who who, who all moved out boeing well, and yeah but she told me a bunch are moving back in. So 
yeah, and now it, it's starting to look good, at least from what we hear uh, from Jenny. Um, they're just climbing back up the ladder. They don't have any junk anymore. So do you like Chicago? Uh, I like it for a trade. I don't like it for a longer term. I'm still worried about the pension situation there. Uh, their pensions, they've, they've righted that ship. There's some challenges down the road that can still occur. Um, I think they weathered the storm very well with getting money through COVID from the federal government. Um, but that train is going to stop uh, arriving at the station, and they've got to make sure that they got their ducks in a row. Isn't that the case with every major city? Don't all gigantic cities have huge pension? All of them. Uh, uh, underfunded pension obligations? Yeah. Look, and we're just seeing this uh, right outside of Philadelphia, city of Chester, right? They just declared bankruptcy because of their pensions. But I think that's sort of more the, the not the norm. You know, Chris is a little worried about Chicago. I'm less worried. Uh, I think they're going to figure out a way to keep kicking that can down the road, and it's going to be something we're still going to be talking about 30 years from now. <laughs> it's Chicago. Uh, Illinois. <laughs> Eric, uh, we had a big infrastructure plan not too yeah. long ago, like a gajillion dollars, I think is yeah. the CFA term. How does the municipal bond market, the investors that you talk to, how do they think about that? Did they, is there a play there? Is there a trade there? I we think heard there's a, a lot less refinancing. A lot less refinancing. And I was going to say, it's all rates driven, right? It doesn't matter like how much infrastructure money is floating around, right? If the markets aren't cooperative and rates aren't cooperative at a time to jump into the market, those plans are going to get put off unless there's sort of a clicking, you know, ticking time for the federal government subsidies to sort of flow through to the cities. But we're not seeing that right now. So, you know, as I think about the municipal bond market, I mean, it's I think it was a pretty consistent market, lower risk. But then you taught me about this taxable high-yield market. How do you invest? Do you invest in a taxable high-yield market? Not so much in high-yield. We're generally in the higher grade in terms of taxable market. It's it's an up-and-coming market. I mean, it's really kind of expanded. It's gotten much bigger in the past several years. We had a period in 2010 where uh, the Build America program really kind of brought a lot of attention uh, to it. That's right. And that was yep. really kind of cool and really exciting to kind of get involved with. And a lot of people kind of benefited from that. And now we're seeing the follow-on effects of way down the road that it's actually a market people are starting to pay more attention to. But Eric really still has to sell you on it like Chicago oh, oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so Eric what's what's kind of as you I know you at Bloomberg Intelligence uh, you guys are all either having written or are writing your 2023 yeah. outlooks yes what's some of the key takeaways from your outlook I think that, you know, munis are done sort of getting beaten into the ground for the time being. And I know that's probably not the most technical of CFA terms. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like you said, it's been a brutal 10 months, 11 months. And I think the, the tide is really getting ready to turn here. We're constructive on credit, state and local governments. They have a lot of money in their coffers still. Uh, and tax collections are still strong. You know, whether the economy tips into a recession or not, I really think that's sort of beyond the point because they have the ability to raise taxes, right? So unless you're, you know, in dire, Tough dire straits financially. Raising taxes. I understand. Session. It's unpopular, oh. but they can still do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what matters more then, uh, where the economy goes or what the Fed does in terms of rates? I think rates right now, because we're a supply and demand driven market. And if you're keeping supply on the sidelines, right, you're, you're going to impact the muni market in a big way. And we saw that this year. So, Eric, what do you expect then? I mean, we're talking about a higher terminal rate every week. Yeah. Um, I think right now the market's pricing in like five and a quarter. Mm -hmm. what, what are you looking at? Well, I mean, I think our rate strategist is around 5%, um, you know, as far as terminal rate projection. But I, I think the bigger issue is if we keep seeing these strong economic prints come out, it's just going to prolong the pain for rates going into next year. So, Chris, for you and your team at uh, Valley National Bank, what are some of the opportunities for 2023 for you guys? Where do you think you might have some places to, to put some money to work? You know, I think um, one of the things that we've started to look at lately is kind of coming down the curve a little bit, honestly. It's not okay. it's not super exciting. It's not the, the most uh, biggest way to get bang for the buck, but 
these short call bonds, mm-hmm. two, to th- two to five year type of call structure for a 10 year uh, final maturity. You get a lot of added value over where you can get a, for a, a term bond with two to three year to maturity. So you really can kind of beat it up and get a lot of performance out of it that way without risk. And it's like, again, people don't look at munis because they want a safe product. It's right. like, here's yep. a way to get added benefit, added exposure, added participation, and added yield without a ton of extra risk. It's, a, it's kind of an easy way to do it. All right, good stuff. Chris Brigatti, he's Managing Director, Senior Vice President, Municipal Investments with Valley National Bank in lovely Wayne, New Jersey. Eric Kazaski, Senior U.S. Municipal Strategist with Bloomberg Intelligence in like equally lovely Princeton, New Jersey. So these guys have got New Jersey uh, covered. You feel right at home here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The Jersey boys <laughs> kind of bringing it together. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.